0: We are ambassadors for Christ. Therefore, we are committed to understanding one another deeply, experiencing healing in relationships, and pursuing the ministry of reconciliation. This week, we'll be doing things slightly differently. Uh, Raina and myself will be engaging the scriptures together and drawing out where does the Bible speak about reconciliation and what does that mean for us.
1: Thanks, Lessego, for teeing us up for this morning. Once again, guys, good morning. Uh, I'm really excited about this theme. I'm excited about the teaching text. I'm excited about the conversations that will follow. So here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to read the teaching text to us. Uh, As part of my theological studies, I had to do a book, and the book's name is Reading the Bible for All It's Worth. And I always feel like, before a sermon, let's just read the text for all it's worth, right, for how it comes to us this morning. Then I'll do a prayer for us as we open up the scripture. And uh, then we'll expound it from there and have a lovely discussion between Lesacho and myself, and then later between you guys in breakout rooms as well. So here's our teaching text for this morning. It comes from a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Corinth. They are called the Corinthians, and this is from chapter 5, verse 18 to 21. It's a thick one, so put on your thinking caps. Paul writes All this is from God so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, as we open up the scriptures this morning, we pray that it would come alive. We pray that we would be attentive of the work of your spirit inside of us. We pray that you would be revealed to us in an awesome way and that you would become bigger in our heads, in our hearts and also in our eyes as we behold you and gaze upon you. This is a tough topic for us, Lord Jesus, as a church, and therefore I pray that you would bind us together in unity, that you would shed the light of your gospel, not only on the scriptures, but also in our conversations. I pray that in your name. Amen. So guys, here's what I want to do first. I just want to give us some context for 2 Corinthians, and then I'll pass the ball back to Le Cichel before we get there. So let me just uh, stop uh, sharing my screen now. Okay, so a couple of important things, right? I won't take us too deeply into 2 Corinthians, but a couple of important things. The first thing is this is a letter between a guy named Paul and a church named the Corinthians who is situated in Corinth. This was a way of communication, this was a way of keeping in touch. Paul did ministry there, and every so often he would write to the people to ask how it's going. He would even go and visit himself. And then obviously, as the relationship develops, and as he visits them, and as he writes to them, and as he hears from them, there's a relational uh, um, bond being formed between them. Now, there's a, the relationship between Paul and the Corinthians is quite strained at this point when he wrote this letter. And here's the reason why the relationship is strained. Firstly, about what he says, right? So there's something about the message of the gospel. This message about the forgiveness of sins for all people through the atonement of one person who came to die and then God raised from the dead that the Corinthians really found odd, right it didn't make sense in their heads like in the space uh, that Corinth existed in that day uh, there were other narratives about gods and salvation and prosperity and fulfillment but not this one this message was unique and paul was challenged about this message i mean you guys know if you've ever if you've ever read the book of acts that uh, paul experienced a lot of persecution for proclaiming this message and then secondly paul's ministry was also a problem for the Corinthians. Paul spoke about sacrifice. Paul spoke about dying to yourself. Paul spoke about giving it all for the glory of God. Paul spoke about um, being weak and letting the light of the gospel shine through him. And Paul said, my message is a message of, sorry, not my message, my ministry is a ministry of service. And they found that odd. The people in Corinth, I mean, they were all about boasting public figures, public orators, uh, honor and shame in their community. So they thought that not only is this guy's message odd, his ministry is also kind of odd. We would have thought that it should be easier for you. We're not quite sure why you seem to be such a sucker for punishment and for suffering, right? So the message in the ministry of Paul was being debated, and they had a problem with it. Now, if you read the book of Two Corinthians, you'll see that Paul argues all of these points. Like the beginning of Two Corinthians, chapters one and two, Paul says, "Guys, this message is an upside-down message. It looks like foolishness to you, but it's wisdom to God. I know it doesn't make sense in your categories, but it makes a lot of category. It makes a lot of sense according to the categories of God. So yes, it is an upside-down message. Yes, it should sound strange to you. Yes, you have never heard something like this, and I agree." I agree. I've never even said uh, that it is a message that you have heard. I'm just saying what I was given, and then I give that to you. Then he has this remarkable section in the letter, pretty much chapter three, I would say covers all of this, where Paul says, remember that everything that I'm doing and everything that we are doing as a church is being done by the power of the Spirit. So Paul says, yes, I am proclaiming an upside down message, but I'm also doing it through the power of the Spirit. Then Paul argues from 2 Corinthians 4 onwards that we are people that are weak. We are like clay pots. We break easily. But it's when we break that the light really shines through us. So Paul doesn't shy away from this supposed problem that the Corinthians had with him. He just leans straight into it. And he says, nothing that I do, I do out of my own power anyway. And if I seem weak and if I seem troubled, that is when the light of the gospel really shines through me. So it does connect well to the message we had last week, saying that we have hope in our suffering. And then Paul uh, says that you guys have a problem with the fact that the gospel is for all people. But the gospel is for all people. So let me now press into that. We can't choose who we proclaim the gospel to. We can't choose who becomes part of the family of God. There's no strong and weak and clever and not so clever and up high and down low. Everyone in the sight of God is the same. And his salvation message is definitely for everyone. Then Paul says, this is something that God has done. Right, so you might take exception to it, but I'm telling you now that this is something that God Himself has done. So let's look at verses 18 to 21, right? So I just did a little recap for us up until chapter 5, verse 18. So in 18 to 21, there's really one big theme in this portion of 2 Corinthians 5, and here it is Paul says. That in Christ or through Christ or because of what Jesus has done, a whole new world has been born. A whole new age has been inaugurated. Plainly said, Everything changed. The cross was a game changer. There's something for you to tweet if you really want to. But that's what Paul says. So not only has the world been made new, not only are we entering a new age, but human beings are being made new. You've seen that scripture, either tattooed on someone or on someone's journal, right? That anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Anyone who is in Christ, open for all. And then Paul uses very lofty words. We'll get to that a little bit later. Words like new creation, words like reconciliation, words like righteousness of God. Now, this is all things that should make us think, wow, we Paul feels really serious about this thing. And here's the thing that Paul feels really serious about. He says that I'm using these words to describe to you that what Jesus has done has radically affected both Human and divine relationships, like our relationship with God, and it has radically affected earthly relationships between people. God did this. He instigated it. It was his work we see in verse 18. So there's a lot of big statements here. And when we read it as modern readers, we should actually pause for a second and go, woo that is some weighty stuff. So I'm going to give you three EPs, because it's easy to remember. If I have to summarize what this portion of Scripture says, I think it speaks something personal, it speaks of something practical, and it speaks of something pastoral. And then we'll get into some conversations about this. So firstly, I want you to see in the teaching text that the good news of Jesus Christ is very, very, very personal. Paul says that everything changed, the whole world and even time, but it has something to do with you. So not only is it cosmic, not only does it apply to everyone and everything, but it's also very personal. And to you, this means that your sins have been forgiven and that you stand in a brand new relationship with God through Christ. That's it. You are in a relationship with your own creator Reconciled fully. So that's the personal part. It is also actually very practical. So, this thing that God has instigated and that God has done is very practical, meaning we have to do something. It asks for a response. We can take part in it. It asks for action. It's actually a verb that is being used there be reconciled, right? It's a state of being. It's something that we should embody. It's something that we should give hands and feet to. almost like there's your food now eat it right none of us would have a plate of food in front of us and go i think i'm gonna pass unless it's really poor but then you should still eat it right when the food is given to you it asks for a response of eating more about eating coming a little bit later and Paul says the reason why this, we ought to do something about this is because it's a ministry. So the Greek word for ministry is diakonia, which means service or serve. That's where we get the word deacon from, which is translated as servant. Right. So this isn't something that is just a casual stroll in the park or something that we do in our free time. This is a, a service. It's a mission we are. It's something we called for. And then the third P is pastoral. Here's what Paul says. He says this thing that God has instigated, this thing that he has done, this this, this reconciliation that he has brought into being brings us closer to one another. Did you see me? I even leaned into the screen because I do want to feel a little bit closer to you. It changes the way we relate to one another. It heals us in relationships, because relationships also has the ability to actually break us, it grows our relationships with one another. And look at verse 21 because there's really a key in there. Paul says, This all happened because God literally replaced your guilt with innocence. That's it, straight swap. Fully guilty fully innocent, just like that. That's the only way that reconciliation can work is if guilt or even perceived guilt is replaced by innocence and that now defines our relationship with one another. And the, sh- the same should be true, I would say, for us as church, firstly, brothers and sisters, and then as humanity, right? People made in the image of God. So we shouldn't be in disunity with one another. But when we are, the question should be asked, where is the guilt and where should forgiveness be given? If we want to get back to love and unity, uh, this is what it's going to take, right? And that's the message we carry. So Paul is being nailed for his message and his ministry. And then he talks about his message and his ministry. And then he says at the end of chapter 5, so you have the same message and you have the same ministry. And you ought to be all about that. So guys, when we say reconciliation, this is what's on the table, right? It's quite a lot and it's quite weighty and it does ask for some thorough understanding and study and double-clicking. I think an illustration for us will be helpful at this point.
0: You would have seen the first slide uh, that Raina showed. It says that we believe that the message of ministry of reconciliation is ours. And that's what Raina has been showing through two Corinthians. Um, but all of this fits together. All of what Reino has been speaking about fits together. It fits together like parts of a burger. So bear with us here as we build this burger. It may cause lots of thoughts of Burger King steers or Rocco Mamas, whatever the flavor you have. Uh, we're not going to get into the debate now about which is the best flavor. Uh, but maybe we'll leave that to the breakout rooms. Uh, but so stay with us as we build the different parts of this burger and try to understand what to do with it. Um, so normally when you come on a Sunday, you expect to hear The word and application, this will be slightly different as we package the burger, understand what to do with it, take a few bites, look under the hood, see what's still there, and we complete this mammoth task of eating this big burger that we see in front of us. So we say we are reconciled to God. We are also reconciled to one another. We are ambassadors for Christ. Therefore, we are committed to understanding one another deeply experiencing healing in relationships and pursuing the ministry of reconciliation. That is what we believe. That is what we believe is at the essence of who we are. So let's unpack this, right? So we see the first line speaks about us being reconciled to God and reconciled to one another. It's the top of the back. Um, It's the theology of what we believe. It is our identity. The bottom of the burger is pursuing the ministry of reconciliation. It's the outward working of who we are and what we believe. It's the application of the theology. It's interesting that when you eat a burger, you, you have to hold the bottom bun. Um, if you don't hold the bottom bun, the burger collapses. You can't hold the top bun and snack at it. You, you've got to hold the bottom bun, uh, make sure it doesn't fall apart as you enjoy it. Um, so we have to we have to stay, we, we have to try and understand the application and hold what is true to, to that application, pursuing the ministry of reconciliation because of our theology. Um, So let's double click that for a moment. In verses 18, we saw that God has reconciled us to himself through Christ. Um, That's what Raina was was teaching us from God's word. Then he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. So we believe that as we see in Corinthians, that there's both the vertical and horizontal reconciliation. Through our reconciliation to God, we are also reconciled to one another. So when we look at the Ten Commandments, um, we see that the first few are about reconciliation with God. And we see that the last few are reconciliation with one another. Just another example. When we look at Mark chapter 12, we see one of the scribes ask God, what is the greatest or most important of all? What is the greatest command?" And Jesus responds, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is reconciliation to God. But Jesus doesn't stop you. He continues, love your neighbor as yourself. This is reconciliation to one another. Uh, this is another example that shows that both reconciliation to God and reconciliation to one another needs to happen. Lastly, Reno mentioned uh, Apostle Paul. And we see when Paul establishes churches within the context of Acts, that he sees and understands that reconciliation with God needs to go with the reconciliation with one another. He doesn't consider homogeneity. He looks for the Jews and the Gentiles in that context, and he sets up one church. He understands that the church must reflect the people within its context, that the church must transcend the culture of the day that we must be reconciled to one another and reconciled to God. We believe the application of being reconciled to God and reconciled to one another is not a single step. It's not a single step, but it's a continued commitment towards living life on life. Continued commitment to life in community and commitment to understanding one another deep. So that's the cheese in our burger. Commitment to understanding one another deeply and experiencing healing relationships. That's the petty. That's the meat of our burger. This means at times we ought to make the hard decision of being in community when we may not feel like or when we have something else lined up. This means sometimes we have to bring down the walls of our heart so that people can come in. This means we ought to live lives that Best give us the opportunity to love and serve one another. That gives us an opportunity to understand how to pursue the ministry of reconciliation in the spaces that we're in. I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's the picture of a burger, that's the picture of our illustration. What
1: then? What do we do now? So uh, what I love about a burger, and let's just gaze at it for a few more seconds, anyone getting hungry, uh, it is indeed 18 minutes past 11. Uh, what I do like about a burger is the fact that it's the experience of eating everything that you've just spoken about all at once. Né? It's like taking the top, taking the bottom, squashing it, taking a bite, and then allowing for everything from the garnish to the sauce, to the cheese, to the spices and the patty, to the bun, to just, um, you know, combine in this one awesome, awesome flavor. Like, then you know you are chowing a burger. And we've unpacked many dimensions of reconciliation now. So the question is, if I do speak the message of reconciliation, if I do carry the ministry of reconciliation, if I am as serious about reconciliation as Paul himself is, what would be experience? What would we be experiencing? Right. So if I ask you, what, what what's it like to eat your bacon, cheese, and guac double smash at Rocco Mama's? Also, not propagating that that's the best burger joint. Just saying that I actually do like that flavour. What would you expect? Right? What would it feel like? If we do this and the second one, I thought it would be great to take three very key things from this passage. So it's all biblical that we also wrote in our little key message, you know, the theme for the sermon. And then you speak about it a little bit deeper. And those three things are the fact that we are ambassadors for Christ. So we'll be talking about that. The fact that we want to understand one another deeply. That's the second one. And then the third one is that we want to experience healing relationships. Okay, So that's where we are headed for this next section in the sermon. Now, let's think for a minute about being an ambassador. I've never been one myself of a country or sports club or school or whatever. I also uh, don't have any family who's ambassadors. But if you live in a city like Pretoria, I think we have about 29 embassies in Pretoria, you know what being an ambassador is all like. I see Annika nodding because I know that she actually works at an embassy, right? So she has a good feel for what the space of ambassador is. And here's the thing let me say it plain. If you are an ambassador, then everything about you is about the flag you represent. That's it. You're on assignment. You are doing as you were sent to do, and you do it in the best interest of the flag. Like even an ambassador from a different country being in South Africa would not even be here if that person wasn't an ambassador. Right? So it's the moment they touch down at OR Tambo International, it's ambassador on, here we go. And everything I'm doing is about that flag. This is what God wants of us. So he reconciled us to him, and therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. This is his doing. He put us on this assignment. I mean, the moment we came to faith and accepted the good news, and we were adopted into his family, it's
2: like, boom, boom. ambassador. It actually
1: revere the fact that we've been chosen to represent this phenomenal kingdom. I mean, I would possibly, if anyone would ask me, you know, represent some sort of global brand name or whatever, I'll go, sure. I don't think I'm up for the task. Now, God, the creator of the universe brings you into his family and he goes, dude, there's your badge. You will from now on be an ambassador for my kingdom. This is huge, right? I mean, my work personally uh, asks for a lot of public speaking. So I do speak in places where people look to me and I speak to them and they listen to what I say. Um, If I think about the space of social media as an example, every word I'm saying is a word through which I'm representing the badge that I'm wearing. Everything that I'm doing, everything that I'm posting, everything that I'm engaging in, every way that I do it. Even as small as private conversations. Whenever you would have a private conversation of me, still wearing the badge, right? And I'm not taking off the badge until I leave this country. And I won't be leaving this country until I either die or Jesus comes back. So I am on assignment. There's never a moment where I can say that I now want to act in my own best interest. I'm always acting on behalf of the flag that I'm carrying. Now, let me ask you a question. You have heard that it was said, oh, man, people from Malawi are just awesome. Or people from Brazil are so friendly. Or, man, I just love French people or Spanish people or English people. Why? Like, how on earth would you be able to say that? Well, it's from your interactions with people who were ambassadors of that country. That's it. I mean, there's no way that I could say I know every single person in Brazil, and I'm telling you now that they're all awesome. But every single Brazilian who I have met, this is as an example now, who have been ambassadors of their country, representing the flag, have been awesome and friendly and really cool. So therefore, I assume that everyone should be that way because they are representing their country. It's the same with us. As Christians, we represent the church and we can do it in such a way that people can say, all of my interactions with Christians have been awesome and gentle and forgiving and loving. It's because I know a couple of them. That I know that all of them are awesome. So it's a weighty, weighty truth for us, and it's something that we believe in. Not only because the Bible says it, but because we think it's really important for us, as a church, to take this seriously.
0: And I think the easiest way to posture yourself for that is to be to remember the truth that you mentioned before: that we are a new creation; that everything is from God; who reconciles us. Uh, to himself and to one another. I think that's the right lens to use in order to always have your flag uh, up. Uh, I'm reminded of the truth of the gospel in words that you mentioned as well, that it is a forgiveness of sins and a new relationship with God through Jesus Christ that makes me an ambassador. So as you said, an ambassador is a respected official sent to a foreign land to represent a formal or official position. And I believe the official position is to make much of God. Um, wherever he places us. So I believe we do that by being disciples of Jesus and purposefully doing life where he's placed us. Being missional, engaging in loving in authentic way, serving and loving those in our community and in our spaces. If I'm faced with the option of, of, of me meeting with God's people or not, that I urge towards meeting with God's people, to both encourage them and to do life as God intended us to. Um, I choose to be with my family because that's that's what people are. They're my family. They're my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I choose to build authentic relationships. And I'm aware of the people in my community. I know where they are, how they're doing. I know how to love and serve them uh, as an ambassador. Um, I think much the same as an ambassador when they would return to their country where they've been sent. Um, we will also have to account when we... Meet Jesus in the air. We're going to have to account for the flag that we raised, whether the flag we raised showed Christ or not. So we too will have to account when we meet Jesus in the air. So let's look at understanding one another deep. Um, what does what does that mean? Um, so as Reino mentioned, as a church, we we're not going to we're not going to follow every buzzword or hashtag um, just because we want likes and retweets. That's not what we're about. We want to see lives changed by the gospel in radically different ways. So it means that we will have tough conversations. They will be difficult, but the ultimate purpose is of pursuing true reconciliation. So without true and transparent communication, without deep understanding, we may not be able to get to healing and therefore to not be reconciled. So myself and Reino, I would see Reino as my brother in Christ uh, because we're ambassadors of Christ and we love working together. However, we are different. We're different in gifting. We're different in culture, amongst other things. Our culture submits itself under our new identity of us being new creations in Christ. So I want to talk about how we practically can help one another to understand one another deeply. So if I think pre Uh, Black Lives Matter, when I think of George Floyd, who died in a brutal way. I believe, and this is a generalization, but I believe that myself, uh, as a Black person, I would think of incidents like that as group inclined. So what that means is when I see and engage with content like that, uh, I too feel the neck on my shoulder. I too feel like I can't breathe. I too feel like it's actually happening to me at that very moment. And I think it's driven by the, the culture and the space that I live in. The fact that uh, if I go to my local spa, uh, I'll be followed. I'll be tailed as I move along the aisles, I'll be tailed as I put things into my basket. Um, or reminded by the fact that when I, when I first moved to Centurion, uh, we lost our place uh, in PBR, in pierre of Rainenfeld, because, because of my appearance. Those are real things. So I believe understanding one another deeply is having space to lament. To feel heard, to feel loved, safe spaces, and when I think of uh, five levels of communication, uh, five being cliché, four being facts, three being ideas and opinions, and two being emotive, and one being just the peak of, of good communication. I, I think the start of being understood is is not being met. It's not meeting my emotional sense or my emotional uh, level of communication with the effectual one. It is one that that seeks to listen, that seeks to love, that seeks to understand. Uh, and that's where the healing will start, through good dialogue, good communication. Uh, what about you, Reno? What, what does understanding one another deeply mean for you?
1: Mateo, I just want to say that I was listening to you so deeply. I almost missed my cue. That's a joke. That's a joke. Uh, Mateo, for me, uh, I do agree with you. And For me, when I just look at Jesus... And how he was a human being. Understanding one another deeply can't seem that foreign to me as one of his followers, right? Jesus was a human just like we are. Experiencing everything we experienced, knowing what it's like to go through the things that we go through right and i mean i'm tempted now to just run through the gospels really quickly and to just look at all the highlights of jesus being human but i'm not going to do that you can read them for yourselves but jesus was a human just like we were jesus asked questions right if you read his stories you'll see that he tried to understand what was going on in every context that he entered I mean, because he was also divine, he could say, listen, guys, hang on a second. I know exactly what's going on here. This will be the result. But when people ask his help, when people want his attention, when people approach him, he says, how can I help you? Or how can I heal you? Or what do you need from me? Or what do you want me to do? Or where do you want me to go? Or he even asked the question on a couple of occasions, just saying, "Uh, what's going on here? (laughs) You know, Jesus was engaging in the things that was put before him. And he entered into the language of the people amongst who he walked and who he lived. I mean, a really good example of this would be the end of the gospel of Luke in chapter 24. We have this beautiful portion of scripture where Jesus walks to a small town called Emmaus or Emmaus, if you want to. And uh, with two people that are really gutted about the fact that the promised Messiah of Israel was executed in Jerusalem over that weekend. And Jesus goes, really? Would you guys like to tell me more? You know, he's got this really compassionate, awesome, inquisitive posture to those people. And if you read the story slowly, he walked with him the whole day. Like it was a really long conversation until they eventually reached Emmaus and he said, Okay, guys, I'm going to be off. And they went, No, dude, you need to stay here. And he goes, Okay, well, cool. If more conversation is needed, then more conversation we'll have. And eventually, obviously, when he told them about the law and the prophets, it all became clear that he was resurrected from the dead. But that's just such a beautiful story for me of Jesus entering into what's going on now, listening, speaking truth into their situations, and connecting with people in their own idioms and their own metaphors and in their own language. Hebrews 4 verse 15 says that we have a high priest who knows what it's like to be like us to suffer all the temptations we suffer, and yet he did not sin. So Jesus looks at all of us when we experience any trial and says, I know, I know, I've been there before, and I conquered it, right? So together we can get through this. So for me, that's a posture we ought to have, especially towards one another to enter into each other's spaces and to listen deeply just because our Messiah did it himself. I think it should be like this with everyone we meet, but even more so with the rest of our family who we see today on our screens and even those who we haven't met before. Now, this is something that I am passionate about. I can riff on it for very long, okay, not necessarily going to... I would like to just transition us into the third one, which actually is also connected to the second one. And that is experiencing healing relationships. Now, the reason why I am passionate about this is because um, we understand relationships and communication today in a way that I don't think is helpful And I don't think it's biblical, right? So that's a generalization. But if you just think about people speaking to each other in texts, people writing to each other in tweets, people just blocking one another or unfriending one another, people being isolated from one another, not actually seeing each other anymore. It's really easy for us to just dispose of relationships. It's easy for us to exit out of it. And it's also easy for us to think that if I said it, then everyone heard it, right? I mean, people make the mistake of putting some real big news on their WhatsApp status and then I would inquire about that three weeks on they would say didn't you see that I put it on my WhatsApp status and then I go "Uh, no dude just because you put it on your status doesn't mean that I saw it and because I didn't see it I just didn't know it and you've been thinking for three weeks that I know exactly what's going on in your life but I just don't you actually didn't even say it to me right it wasn't like eyeball to eyeball contact and words being spoken so because relationships seem to be easily disposed of in these days. I think we should spend some time just talking about the importance of it and specifically re, uh, relationships that leads to our healing. So let me intro it like this. I think a healing relationship, and this is something that's tweetable, is a relationship in which you know and in which you are known. So to know someone else and to be known by them. That is a wholesome Healing relationship. Now, we get hurt in relationships, guys. We really do. All of us can tell that story. But we also get healed in relationships. Okay? So we have to take the chance and we have to take the risk to enter into relationships so that we can experience the healing from the brokenness we have experienced. Past hurts um, are made whole by new experiences. And this asks from us, I would say, for an openness and for a vulnerability. Now, let me just say this as a sidebar. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, then I think hearing that you should be open and vulnerable and be known by other people can be really, really, really daunting. Why? Well, because what if I'm ashamed of anything that I carry? What if I am scared of rejection? What if I carry a sense of guilt for what I've done? What should I do with it? I'm never in my whole life going to show you all of that or tell you all of that. I can understand that fully. The thing is, though, for us as believers, all of that's taken care of, right? So my shame has been dealt with. My guilt has been cleared. I have nothing to fear. There's nothing on this earth and in this life that can separate me from the love of Jesus Christ. So why would I be scared? of being open and vulnerable with you. I'm not carrying my own shame anymore. I don't need to be guilty of anything. I'm safe in the hands of the father. I'm rooted in my identity as his child. I'm loved by him, even if you don't love me. That's a given. It's done for me. So nothing can separate us from that. And therefore, we enter into these relationships on a rock, rock, rock solid foundation. I think friendship is a good metaphor for us to think along those lines. And then I'll ask you what you think about experiencing healing relationships. But I think friendship is a common shared experience for all of us. All of us have gotten hurt in friendships. And all of us have experienced the beautiful healing nature of relationships through friendships we have. Now, if we as a church take reconciliation seriously, if we take the forgiveness of each other seriously, if we replace each other's guilt and perceived guilt with complete innocence and therefore reconcile to one another, our relationships with each other will be healing relationships. What do you think, mate? When I think of
0: reconciliation and healing, I, I believe the, the world, or majority of it, believe in a superficial process to this, um, that you must move on, that you must forgive, you must forget. If there is hurt, um, you must uh, put on your big boy pants and and move along. I think sometimes Christians' approach is to immediately go to setting your mind on things above. And I I think there's value to that, but I, I think there's a case to be made of having truth and conversation and dialogue being a fundamental building block to that type of reconciliation that would ultimately bring healing. Uh, I think the first thing that, that pops to mind is a is, is a sort of an elderly woman uh, when, when I think of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission who uh, was faced uh, with a judge and someone who murdered um, murdered the son and the husband, and the judge asked her what she what she thought was just punishment. Um, so this this picture shows both uh, a picture of having had good dialogue and good communication and good maybe understanding, but also it shows a picture of setting our, our hearts and minds on things above, and, and 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 forgiveness in that sense. But I think both of them going together ultimately creates good healing. So when the judge asks this this woman, this elderly woman, "What do you think is just punishment?" Uh, I think her her response was threefold. Uh, but was it was her response was to was to ask this this gentleman to visit her um, one, I think twice a month. Um, and it wasn't to visit her to see maybe the poverty that she that she lived in or to see the empty void that, that would be left by um, the son and the husband. But it was so that she can love on him. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's why she wanted to see him. And this broke the man down, obviously, because that's, that's the judgment that the judge will pass according to what the woman is saying. So the woman is saying, yeah, judgment, is come spend some time with me and um and let me walk across the room and to embrace you and tell you that i forgive you Mm -hmm. and i think it it was important that there was some dialogue before there was some communication there's some level of understanding that's starting to build, and maybe for this woman there is some part of the walls that are going down in understanding and hearing and and listening and then being able to respond likewise Um, and i and I think that's that's a picture that first comes to mind. I think this looks like building authentic relationships to engage uh, when we need to engage, to lament when we need to lament, to encourage one another um, when we need to encourage one another um, while becoming more and more like Christ. That's what I think. In real authentic relationships, um, having a beer with the, with the guys, uh, sharing a meal. With people and really understanding where people are coming from and knowing how best to love, serve, and support them in their walks with Christ.
1: Yeah, that's me. Yeah. So good, mate. The word that pops up in my head is meaty. You guys see what I did there? Burger metaphor, guys. Uh, Meaty piece of scripture, meaty applications for us. It asks for some reflection, it asks for some discussion, and it asks for us. focus on this well at least for the rest of the service and for this week and for our work right as we minister in the city of centurion so here's what we said we said that this is something god has done he instigated this and we are pulled into this work by both the message and the ministry of reconciliation we said it has personal implications it has practical implications it has pastoral implications and we say that therefore we are ambassadors for Christ therefore we want to understand each other deeply therefore we enter into relationships that brings healing to us now how cool would it be that slide describing all of that can be something that fellowship city is known for. It's something that I'm praying for. It's something that we want to lead our church towards. We think it's the unique contribution of the church in this time to be busy with these things. It might seem difficult. It might even make you feel a little bit uncomfortable, but we think that this is part of our witness. And this is part of our message and part of our ministry. I would like you, Sanabba, before we go into a last song of worship, to just have us pause for a second to just pray through everything we said now. I like the words covering stuff in prayer. Always think of little, you know, sauce on top of a casserole, however uh, you want to cover anything, patty, mayo, you know. Let's just uh, cover everything we've said now in prayer. And, and let's submit this. Let's submit this to God as a church. Um,
2: let's pray, church. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence in our meeting and discussions today. Thank you for conveying through your sons, Reino and and Lesero, your word that is sharper than any double-edged sword. I pray that your word accomplishes in us its purpose. May it penetrate even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, I pray that your living word continue to judge the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. Father, we, we are made in you. We are made by you in your image and likeness. And we thank you that by the power of your word, we are and we can be reconciled with you through Christ and to one another. Father, we thank you for the missionary family you have created in Fellowship City a family that carries with it the ministry of reconciliation, a family that you will grow for your glory as we, by your grace, make disciples of all nations. Thank you, Lord, that even if we encounter suffering along the way, that we have you as our living hope. Jesus, you are the hope of glory in us, and thank you that you are with us always till the very end of the age. Amen.